Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. The Leader as Supervisor. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, along with Ron Price, co-author of the book, The Complete Leader. Ron, great to be with you. Thank you, Dale. It's good to be with you today. So we are having this conversation around talent and hiring and supervising and innovating. Uh, Today, though, we're going to focus on the supervising aspect. Give us a a quick summary of what we talked about in our last conversation for those folks who are just joining us. Sure, Dale. Uh, So we were talking about the concept of a leader also. So being a talent agent and a lot of our conversation centered around this idea that you should always be recruiting. You should always be looking for talent. You shouldn't only start looking when you have a vacancy that you're trying to fill. I actually believe, Dale, that even in an economy economy like we have today, where we have very low unemployment, that the great companies or the great organizations will never have trouble finding talent because it's this old phrase that the there's always room at the top. So if you're a top performing organization, if you're an organization that really values your employees, your customers, if you've built your brand or your reputation based on qualities of character and commitment and integrity and things like that, there will always be highly talented people that are looking for the opportunity to work with you. However, one of the things that we touched on toward the end of our last conversation is this idea that the the makeup of how people do their work is going through quite a significant change. It actually got started back in the 90s, but it's building momentum more and more all the time. And that is that more and more people are saying, I want to work, I want to contribute to a, a large organization, but I'd rather have more autonomy, I'd rather have more freedom. And that has resulted in the emergence of what's referred to as the gig economy, where people work with you, but they don't necessarily work as an employee in the traditional definition or traditional sense. As a matter of fact, right now in um, the U.S., one in three workers are not officially employees of the organizations that they work with. They're uh, freelancers, they're subcontractors. That's what we mean when we talk about the gig economy. And millennials in particular, who now represent a little over 50% of the total workforce, of that group, over 50% of them work in the gig economy. Over 50% of them say, I want to contribute. I want to make a difference where I work, but I want the autonomy of really being my own boss, so to speak. Well, think about the impact that that has on the way that we supervise people. You don't own them anymore. They have contracted with you to do a certain job that needs to be done. And that's the basis on which you now want to go forward and build a a new understanding of what it means to be a good supervisor of somebody else. And uh, these folks, they're hardworking. They've got great work ethic. I think about every time I, I, I have an opportunity to travel often, and every time I get into a Lyft car, L-Y-F-T, uh, you know, you call the car, and I strike up the conversation. And these drivers are great examples of fully engaging in the gig economy. They're driving for both Lyft and Uber. They're delivering for DoorDash, and they are picking up bird and lime scooters at night, charging them at home and then delivering them in the morning. 
And this is one person who will be engaged in all of those different businesses and they're fully self-employed, but fully engaged in the gig economy. Yeah, what a great example. So and it's very obvious to us there, but it's actually happening even in court in larger corporate structures where graphic designers or content writers or coaches or any number project managers, any number of positions are are being taken by people who say, I don't want the traditional employer-employee relationship, but I do want to contribute. And I want to take responsibility for what I contribute. So how do you supervise in that kind of a setting? It's, it's really an interesting dynamic. And I see that on the edge of all change is always opportunity and threat. There's opportunity if you understand the change and rethink how you lead or how you relate in the context of that change. And there's threat if you resist an obvious big trend that's taking place and say, well, I, I don't want to acknowledge it. I don't want to accept it. I just want to keep doing things the way we've always done them. So when it comes to supervising, the question is, are you willing to think about new ways of supervising or are you still thinking the way you were 20 years ago about what it means to effectively supervise somebody else? So what are some tools that we can use if we want to look at this as an opportunity instead of a threat? Well, there are several things. First, um, I, I think some of the ways that we're rethinking work give us a great opportunity to rethink supervision. So the first is Clay Christensen, who's a great strategy professor at Harvard, who's focused on disruptive innovations throughout his career. One of the things he's written about recently that really got my attention was the idea that we need to quit thinking about a job with all these multifaceted responsibilities. And then that last thing in the job description that says, and everything else that we decide we want you to do. <laughs> and instead we need to think about the job that needs to be done or the task that needs to be done. So instead of thinking about this whole position, we're thinking about individual tasks or projects and who is the best person to take responsibility for that individual task or projects. So we're really gonna be breaking it down into subcomponents compared to the way that we did it in the past. And then as a result of that, now the, the supervisor, instead of just telling people what to do, the supervisor is really the steward of the overall strategy, the overall business objective that we're aiming for. And they're doing, they're spending a lot, a lot more time coordinating the, their talent with people who are highly qualified to perform at a very high level in very specific or narrow areas of expertise. So they're doing a lot more planning and organizing and a lot less directing than what they've done in the past. And in order to do that as a supervisor, I think you have to begin to think of that relationship between you and the people you supervise as a negotiation instead of as a order. Instead of telling people, this is what you do, it's a negotiation. This is what our objective is, what we're trying to get done. These are the individual tasks that are going to help us to get that done. How do you want to be involved? Where do you think you can make your greatest contribution? And how do we negotiate the terms of this arrangement so that you're going to perform at the highest possible level and I'm going to get what I need to have done for this particular project. So it's a really a different way of thinking and developing new skills. First, you have to understand people at a deeper level than you have before. You have to understand not only what they can do well, but you also have to understand 
we used to say, what floats their boat. You have to understand what they will become more passionate about. And you need to figure out how to organize in a way that taps into that passion. It's not really coddling people the way some old thinking supervisors might think of it. It's not really about coddling. It's about aligning for optimal performance because you're going to have not just their head, but their heart engaged in that particular task that you're asking them to complete. So that's part of it. And uh, it means that we're going to become more of a design thinker in the way that we design work. That we're going to, we're really going to think about all the moving parts and value people, not just as sort of an asset or a widget that you direct, but recognize what uniquely they can bring to this overarching project in one part that they might contribute to. And then obviously the way that we integrate everybody together as one high performing team. I can imagine uh, there are some leaders managers, supervisors listening, and they, uh, they're they having a, an open mind to this and saying, okay, I want to see it as an opportunity. But what does this look like? This is not a change that can happen in an organization, especially a large organization. The change will not happen overnight. What are some ways to evolve, to progress to what you're talking about? Well, let me tell you where I think we're going to end up, Dale, and then I'll come back and talk about how I think we can get there. I actually think that over the next 10 years, we're going to see a really large shift away from putting so much emphasis on org charts, where people move up an org chart to get a higher and higher position. So traditionally, you, you were a worker, you became a supervisor, then a manager, a director, a senior director, a vice president, a senior vice president, a C-suite level executive. That was what a lot of people thought of as their career path. I actually think that what we're going to see happening over the next 10 years is a lot more emphasis on networks of teams. And it's going to be more important how you as an employee or as a worker identify as part of a team because teams are going to be given assignments to do things based on the ability of that team to perform instead of so much emphasis on a person's position or title. Now, I, I don't mean by that that I think that the org chart's going to go away. I just think it's going to lose significance. And a lot of that significance is going to transfer over to teams of anywhere from five to eight people who learn how to work really well together and to perform in a way that the team gets hired for a project or a responsibility instead of the individual. So that's where I think we're going to end up. Now, how do we get there? Well, the first thing is I'm going to say that as a supervisor, we go back to what we talked about in our last podcast, and that is that maybe the most important job you do as a supervisor is hire for the right fit. Know who you're hiring. Understand what they're capable of. Understand what their values are, what drives them in the way that they govern their own behaviors and the way that they relate to other people understand, have a good understanding of whether or not they'll be able to perform as a part of a small team or will they always want to be a soloist. So that's the first thing is make sure that you're hiring for the right fit. And that fit in the long term has to do more with what the person is or who they are and what they're becoming. And even though it's still important to think about what role or position you're thinking of putting them into, that becomes diminished when you're thinking about building these really special ops teams that are going to be able to work inside your organization for years to come. Uh, 
That's number one. Number two, it's really important when you bring them on board that you provide them with clear expectations. And it takes a lot of hard work as a supervisor, especially when we've got so many moving parts today. But how can they perform at a high level if you're not clear in what you tell them you're looking for, what you tell them you like? So the way I do this as a supervisor is I have no less than a quarterly meeting with the people that I supervise saying, this is what we said we were going to do this quarter. How did it work out? What did we learn based on what we've learned? How are we going to change the expectations for the next quarter? I'm working with higher level leaders, so maybe that should happen monthly. Maybe in some instances it should be happening weekly. But you've got to provide clear expectations that, that really force us to do deeper thinking about why do we have this person here? What do we want to get from them? And not just leaving it to chance or saying I'm too busy to spend time doing that deeper thinking. So that's number two. Number three, it's really important that you build a rhythm of giving clear or timely and accurate feedback because people really need to know what you're thinking about how they're doing, whether you think they're doing really well or you think they're failing or you think they're doing okay, but not as well as you'd like to see them do. You've got to provide that rhythm of giving them timely feedback. You can't wait six months. You can't wait a year and make it a part of the annual performance review. That doesn't work for anybody. It has to be timely. And when I say it has to be accurate, you have to get over two weaknesses that we often have as supervisors. One weakness we have is that we're afraid to tell people the truth. So we sugarcoat it or we hold back things that really they deserve for us to tell them where they're not living up to our expectations. The other bad habit we have to get over is where we browbeat people, where we think, well, the key to helping people change is to make them scared or to use fear as a motivator. Yeah, you know, in reality, fear is a motivator short term, but fear is one of the worst motivators for long-term success. So we've got to get better at the way that we deliver timely and accurate feedback. The fourth thing that we need to do for them is that we need to constantly observe, manage, and calibrate the amount of stress that they're experiencing in their work. Sometimes they might feel they're under a lot of stress and we just need to help them learn how to do their work a different way that's not as stressful. Sometimes we need to help them grow their own emotional intelligence so that they don't lose their emotional self-control when they're carrying a fair amount of stress and sometimes we have to recognize that that stress, if we allow it to stay at the level that it's at, is counterproductive and it's going to cause serious mistakes or it could cause burnout or injury. So as the supervisor, that's one of our big jobs is that it's our job to ride the accelerator, or the gas pedal of stress, to have it be the right amount. Too little stress and people get lazy and bored. Too much stress, they get burned out and injured. The right amount of stress, they grow. The right amount of challenge, and they grow. So that's the fourth thing that we do for good supervision. And then the fifth thing that I think we do in this new world of supervision is we have to always recognize that if we don't continually build the human connection with that person, we could lose their loyalty, especially in the gig economy. They don't have to work with us. They're not stuck. They're not dependent on benefits or things that in the past we would say make employees sticky. So if we don't continue to invest in the human side of that relationship, there's a chance that we'll lose them to somebody else who will. So I know I gave you an awful lot there, Dale, but those are the five things that I have in mind.
very helpful. You know, it, it really comes down to the relational aspect, knowing people, knowing what motivates, inspires people. Uh, I'm also thinking, though, for the person who's listening, who has been in what would be considered a traditional role, has traditional responsibilities in a more traditional job, there might be some fear and apprehension about what does this gig economy mean? I'm not in the gig, gig economy. They're thinking, um, where's the opportunity? Yeah. And, well, and go ahead. Well, first of all, if you're retiring within five years, maybe you'll survive. <laughs> 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 but this is a change that is picking up steam and it's not going to go a different direction. It's what Daniel Burris, who's a great futurist, refers to as a hard trend. It's a trend that you're not going to be able to fight against, so you better figure out how to work with it. And um, I, that's part of why we put together all the resources that we do around the complete leader, is to help people upscale, to help people develop new skills. So if you've been a more traditional supervisor where you really had complete control over the people who worked with you, obviously, reasonably speaking, you might dig, dig into our segments on negotiation and understanding and evaluating others and developing and coaching others. Because those are the skills that are going to help leaders be successful in this new workforce that's emerging. And if you're part of the workforce, I would say one of the ways you can prepare for this is to go through those five steps that Ron just outlined and look for how you can apply them. So, you know, improve how you are matched to the job that needs to be done. And uh, I'm a firm believer that talent always finds a place for itself. And then if you're not clear on the expectations, get clarity seek feedback and learn how to accept feedback, improving your, your own communication skills. That was number three. Number four, look for ways to manage your stress level. I think in the gig economy, I'm thinking we're needing leaders to lead themselves and you can lead from any position in the organization and learning how to manage stress in our lives is important. Ron's fifth point was to continue building human connections. And if, if you're an employee, that's a great opportunity as well. So Ron, what I'm saying is I see these five points, these five jobs you've given us, that they really make all of us better no matter where we're at in an organization, hierarchy, um, or if we're in the gig economy or not. So yeah, thank you for that. A, yeah, thanks, Dale. That's a great insight. You're absolutely right. These go both directions. Either side can make things better. And imagine if both sides are working to make things better. Mm then you, you get to meet in the middle and really have some great things happen. Any last words for us? Yeah, well, one last thought, and it's partly driven by the way that we're doing this podcast today. I, I've seen a huge shift over the last five years in my own work away from being with people face-to-face -face versus being connected over video conferencing or, or over the phone. And um, I look today, I'll bet you that 80% of my work today is video conference as opposed to face-to-face. -to -face. And that's not just happening because I do coaching and consulting work and training. 
that's becoming more and more the norm for how people work together with each other. So hopefully most of our listeners have already gotten comfortable with video conferencing, whether it's GoToMeeting or Zoom or Skype or FaceTime or whatever tool you're using. If you haven't, I would say that you, this is an important skill and comfort level for you to develop because it's going to become an important part of how you effectively supervise people in the future. And there's a protocol around that. Like one of the worst things you can do is have somebody on a phone call or video conferencing, and then you're working on your email at the same time, or you're trying to multitask at the same time. So it's almost a given, but really we have to think about how we use technology to be a good supervisor, as well as the five things that we've talked about today. Absolutely. Great advice. It, the technology provides us a great communication tool when used appropriately and well. So thank you for that. And this is where I think the opportunities are greater than ever between the things that we've talked about today and the idea that we're all talent managements. We're all talent managers. It, it's not getting worse. It's getting better as long as we adapt and learn how to take advantage of the opportunities in front of us. Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, we are conducting this podcast via video call. Yes, that's correct. Capturing the audio. And this is the Complete Leader Podcast. If you do us a huge favor and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast listening app, we'd be most grateful. While you're there, rate and review the podcast. That makes it easier to find for those looking for leadership development content. Also, while you're out and about online, check out thecompleteleader.org. It is the companion website, and there is a host of resources, information about the Complete Leader program, and then you can dive deep through the resources into each of the competencies that are outlined in the Complete Leader book and that where we go deep in this podcast. So you'll find videos, you'll find blog posts, you'll find uh, people who are expert in these areas with whom you can make contact. All of it's there on the website, thecompleteleader.org. Just recently been refreshed and uh, a lot of great information there online. Once again, this is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.